I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello and welcome to All Things Policy. I am your host Saurabh Todi, and I have with me my colleague Shambhavi Naik, and we are going to discuss interesting development where the as we have discussed on this podcast before the world health organization is uh, currently undergoing discussions on a global pandemic treaty so the aim is to develop a legally enforceable global pandemic treaty by the end of uh, next year and discussions are ongoing uh, the most recent review meeting happened in earlier this year in february but we're talking about uh, it today because recently uh, there has been a draft that has been undergoing negotiation has been leaked uh, to the public and uh, we'll uh, link that draft in the description so you can have a look at it and there have been interesting developments on many fronts especially you know on the most more contentious parts so we'll discuss and see what we like about the treaty what do we think is not very workable and what are the different gaps that need to be filled so a very warm welcome shambhavi thank you saurabh and very happy to be here very happy to be discussing a new treaty yeah so let's start with you so going through this draft you know there are a lot of changes so what are the top 3 things that you like about this draft right so the first thing that i liked about this draft when i started reading about it is that there's a lot of emphasis on prevention uh now in capacity building which was lacking before with a focus on antimicrobial resistance uh this i think was something that the last draft only had one uh, mention of amr somewhere in the passing but this draft has a lot of provisions that kind of keep on calling out the importance of antimicrobial resistance and this really is going to be one of the bigger contributors of pathogens of pandemic potential is the fact that we might not be able to cure some of these diseases using antibiotics and therefore i think the pandemic treaty should have always stressed more on amr and i think this is a really good step forward the other is that they call out for a panel of experts to be formed this is a panel of scientists who are going to be helping the the whoca then with creating lists of pathogens of pandemic potential or uh, looking at technologies that need to be better regulated looking at areas of research and development where we can you know focus on to prevent and ensure that there are therapies available if there is another pathogen of pandemic potential that might be created in the future right and these are two i think conceptually very important to me the third which i found very interesting and i'm not quite sure on how it ended up in this treaty is that they have agreed uh, one of the clauses states that signatory parties will ensure cease fires in affected areas during pandemics and you know from everything else i would really like to see this one i have no idea how how they have managed to put in you know if if they will come to an agreement on this and if it does how it will be enforced i mean i'm not hoping that it's going to be a future pandemic but i think sometimes looking at uh, some of these policy drafts you feel as if you know ideally health should be the most important priority of the world 
and it just makes sense that uh, we stop fighting when someone is ill, but it's not something that we have seen too. But I felt for a minute that I felt really, really happy to see this in the in the new draft. How about you, sir? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess like it is a good thing that you know this is being considered. But I'm also not sure because I mean we saw during COVID, right? I mean, if there is a pandemic, I think whether or not there should be ceasefire, I think would be decided or I think dependent on the local dynamics, the parties involved, and what is happening. I am not sure if you know being i mean having signed a treaty saying that okay during a pandemic uh, states should work to have a ceasefire i think i don't think that should i mean would have any impact really because i mean if that is going to have impact then i mean then there should be no fighting in the first place right because i mean in effect <laughs> you should not be fighting you should be discussing things peacefully and uh, having uh, diplomacy take the role in the front line but uh, that's where we are so yeah so i mean in addition to those three i think uh, developments i think there there are a few things that i also really liked about the treaty and also some very interesting proposals there for example i mean article 8 like proposes to have like a health policy review mechanism and i mean so i mean obviously because it is a draft under discussion so there are many options provided for this section so the first one being that you know there is no uh, like a review mechanism per se to see whether or not a state party is uh, following the rules or the principles actually uh, that they have uh, agreed to follow under this treaty the second option is that there will be a peer review mechanism where you know countries or state parties would manage each other would review the performance of each other in this domain and then the third one interestingly is that the who under this treaty would establish a universal health performance review mechanism so that obviously is a bit more invasive in terms of uh, the role of who and states parties in the health policy of a country so that's one so i mean it will be interesting to see how how this evolves i'm not sure how much like countries would want to have like yeah. a significant oversight of uh, who and their peers on their health policy but i think a peer review mechanism might be i think more plausible uh, the the second one is uh, article 10 so which which talks about liability risk management so here for example if there is any risk of liability emanating from vaccines or other medical supplies during the pandemic the countries come together and you know let's form uh, and form common principles that would govern any policy or management of liability arising from it so i mean especially in the context of you know during covid there was a lot of uh, discussions on countries granting immunity to vaccine companies there was a huge discussion in, in india as well that uh, it was reported that one of the requirements or preconditions for pfizer and moderna vaccines in india was that they be granted immunity but then that itself created a lot of contestation in the government and it eventually was not provided so having a global kind of a mechanism for this i think is a very interesting idea i think we have to see more you know like how exactly do states party operationalize it or it would be just principles that would govern like this liability risk management and, and there are no mandates that the countries have to follow and uh, the next one very interestingly is i mean article 11 and 13 so article 11 being the 
core development and transfer of technology and know-how of uh, medical technologies such as vaccines and article 13 being you know uh, supply chain and logistics so, so the first one i mean again there was huge discussions during covid pandemic about the exemption to developing countries under the trips agreement uh, which was a huge uh, which uh, took a lot of time and then eventually i think developed uh, countries allowed a trips waiver which was proposed by india and south africa but the critics say that it was significantly watered down so i think having a mechanism and global principles that would govern such technology uh, transfer and know how especially during pandemic i think would be a very uh, interesting kind of uh, thing to have and especially how countries you know uh, would try to implement that and also the supply chain part for example is also very interesting where the previous draft was like in a way proposing universal mechanism where countries would commit a certain share of their production to this to the pandemic response and then how the who can you know take advantage of uh, that uh, mechanism to like help let's say developing countries or vulnerable party to access these technologies so in this for example there are two ways proposed so one is you know like it's actually three uh, things uh, proposed so one is to have that like there will be no network established per se so it would just be common principles agreed upon which then countries would base their trade decisions on during a pandemic i mean that is essentially like a form of status quo right because uh, a country can then refuse to follow these principles because of the pandemic the second one is that there would be like a who global pandemic related product network which would be operated within the framework of who and then it will be linked with you know with, with other international organizations and other institutions and then this will be like a, like a more structured way a more structured approach uh, to this problem and then the third one is you know like a a sort of a way in between where it will be like a partnership it will be more co- collaborative between like some states parties who have the capability and then the who and other organizations and it would be more facilitative in its approach so yeah i mean these i mean there are more to discuss on these but these are the things that uh, i think i found very very interesting so shambhavi like regarding this uh, the panel of experts that you talked about how do you see this working and then do you see any risks or gaps involved in this first of all i think the panel of experts is a good idea this is something that we have recommended for a long time for the biological weapons convention as well that a lot of these bodies which are usually made up of the representatives from the government and might not always have the expertise that the technical knowledge to actually create some of or rather recognize some of the ongoing uh, science issues right should have a panel of experts i think if if done well this can actually help prevent further pandemics i think a lot will be down to how they actually the composition of this expert panel how often they meet because as we right now know that the speed of globalization uh, migrations conflicts the speed at which technology is improving is so fast paced that you can't have a committee meet every year really to decide this so it's going to be a trade off on the scientists time you know i think getting so many scientists together to represent all of the regions at least is going to be uh, extremely difficult and we need to be to stay up base uh, with technological developments as well right whether it comes to technologies that can help create better pathogens 
or technologies that can be deployed to prevent further. At this point of time, I'm not even thinking pandemics, even epidemics would be useful because we really need to, the idea of preventing a pandemic is that we need to catch it very early on. We can't wait for it to be of a certain scale before we start pulling levers to prevent it. There are a host of functions that this pioneer is supposed to be doing, including creating databases, showing where R&D needs to be improved, etc. So I think overall, it will be doing good work. The question really is, it what extra is it doing that current WHO regulations is not adhering to. And I think there there might be some overlap, which the pandemic treaty does not seem to have really well recognized. So for example, they talk a lot about AMR, which I said is a good thing, but they don't talk at all about the WHO Global Action Plan, which is the plan to kind of uh, decrease AMR. They don't talk about the Biological Weapons Convention, though they keep on talking about pathogens with pandemic potential. And so they seem, still seem to be in the idea that the next pandemic is also going to be of a natural origin. I think the expert panel can help with um, bring clarity to the origins of pandemics, to this idea of a pathogen with pandemic potential, because it is very difficult to tell, right, when a pathogen, when you've just found a pathogen, natural or unnatural, of what pandemic potential mean. I mean, we called SARS, the first SARS uh, was called a pandemic, but it did not turn out to be one. And we were quite late, and by we, I mean the WHO, was quite late in calling out COVID-19 as a pandemic, and it clearly was. So when you have, you know, you're just looking at the pathogen, how do you even know that it is of pandemic potential or not? And I think there are some of these things that, that the experts can actually clarify and that would be good to understand. Thank you for listening to All Things Policy. We'll be right back after a short break. I was wondering, I mean, we have written a paper for the T20 recommending that you know like uh, a kind of a similar kind of a scientific experts group be set up under the bwc to i mean which will be tasked with uh, this right essentially to kind of uh, look at emerging technologies in like for, for example synthetic biology gene editing crispr and all and how these technologies can play a role uh, in you know like uh, in pandemics or you know even have uh, repercussions for biosecurity and i think uh, such a panel i think uh, would be would be useful if it works in conjunction with this panel that is being proposed by the treaty and uh, if they work together i think this can be so i mean to our listeners we can link our paper in the description so shambhavi like do you think there is scope for any energy between the two i do and i think i mean this one of my pet peeves with a lot of the who's treaties is that they I mean, it is then mandated. I think they look at infections only as of natural origin. And obviously, we haven't had any significant biological weapons use, which can obviously make you feel that there's not going to be one in the future. But that is changing, and we know that. And therefore, I think bringing in that point of view, bringing in biosecurity experts is going to be critical. Uh, and so therefore, there's, there is synergy, and they have to work together, because otherwise, we don't have a comprehensive health security plan. We have a plan that may help us protect from natural pathogens and that's about it it is not a pandemic prevention unless we have the biosecurity angle to it also i think going back to something that you said uh, earlier uh, Saurabh, a lot of the language that is current that is is in this draft is very we shall uh, we urge we support etc and so overall it has taken this very voluntary uh, kind of uh, tone which means that there is an added onus on the scientific board to be extra careful because it is not that they are mandating something to the 
signatory parties anymore, right? They have to give out as much information as possible so that individual parties can take action as appropriate. So basically taking informed action, which kind of puts more onus on the scientific board to be very efficient with their recommendations. So I think, I mean, that's true. And I think I think that's one of the challenges, right, of any like a global treaty negotiations where I think there is a recognition that this is a problem and this needs solution and then uh, experts ought to, I think, play a very important role. But I think there is still this kind of uh, apprehension that uh, even when there is a report or there is like an understanding, the parties don't want to be, you know, like logged in into uh, doing something because they signed a treaty. So as you said, almost every clause here, like in the treaty, especially the one that that, that proposes even remotely anything that uh, requires states to do something, it is very you know, like the tone is of encouragement and not something that, you know, should be done or shall be done. And I think it would be a challenge to build consensus on something like this, especially when, uh, if our listeners would recall that this treaty, I mean, prima facie, the idea is that this treaty would be legally binding. But even that kind of uh, aspect has been, you know, left for discussion at the end. So I think the discussions are going on based on the fact that this could be legally binding, but whether or not the final treaty ends up being a legally binding instrument or a recommendatory uh, instrument uh, in nature is yet to be seen. And I think that itself would water down the recommendations if it is not a legally binding one. So I think what any legally binding treaty also allows you to do is whatever is in natural, national interest right at that point of time. And if this treaty is going to be invoked, only when there's a pandemic. I think we're already in crisis time. So how much countries will actually be thinking in terms of helping out each other and not focus on preventing spread within their own boundaries is, I think it's quite apparent from our COVID experience, which is why I think the treaty should have been doing two things, capacity building during peace times, which is critical. And second, I think, is setting expectations of people. I think a lot of public health folks were thinking that this was going to be something like the Montreal Protocol Agreement, where we noticed there was a hole in the ozone, we figured out this was CFCs that was causing it. The world got together and said that, hey, let's stop CFCs, we will move to something else. We moved and the ozone hole has been repaired to an extent, right? But that was a global agreement on doing something that was an active threat. And I understand why people might think that after so many millions have suffered through COVID. Why can the world not come to an agreement now and say that, hey, these are the five things we need to do to be prepared for the next one? I understand not the nature of geopolitics, but I also understand where the public health folks are coming from. It's like we have lost so many people. So many people are going to be suffering for the rest of their lives because of the past two years. So can we not say that if you have a publicly funded research and there's a pandemic and people are dying make that technology free to use is it really that difficult so yeah i mean true i mean i think my idea here here is a bit different i mean i can uh, sympathize with the public health experts but i think the example you gave is actually very right regarding you know what the world did regarding the ozone hole and then now it's i think sealed for now and the efforts were remarkable but i think the reason i think uh, something similar can't really happen i think even if we want it can't happen in this case because the nature of the problem is so different and complex. Like for example, for the, the ozone hole uh, example, 
if we knew that it was like the the CFCs, you know, were the primary source. This is the uh, thing that was responsible for damaging the ozone layer. So if you address this one thing, things would start uh, getting better. Obviously, I mean, things evolved and then new things were new chemicals were added to it. But it was a one-stop uh, solution which countries did. And But I think for pandemic, for example, because it involves so many moving parts, right? Because there is a lot of, there's always a dual use uh, risk here. I mean, any technology, be it CRISPR, genetic editing, synthetic biology, these all have excellent uh, uses of, you know, for health, for research, for science, for biotech, which can also be used in a negative way. Or I think, you know, the, the one health concept, right? Because it is a combination of human health, animal health and the environment. So just because there are so many moving parts, I think it also becomes much harder for, I think, public health officials to convince the public and the, I think, governments to act on something because the action plan, you know, involves not just saying, okay, do one thing and, and you will have results. It involves kind of like things that are to be done, you know, somewhat disjointed manner and hoping that, you know, it is able to catch the pandemic before, I mean, or catch the pathogen before this becomes a pandemic. You IR folks always leave me despondent. I agree with you. I mean, that uh, it is an important, but yeah, I mean, we, we saw right during COVID that, uh, and it is actually a very good example of despite that millions suffering and, you know, like hundreds of thousands of people dying, the world has not really come together, right? To, to do, I mean, I think the fact that at least the world, like the states have agreed to at least discuss a global pandemic treaty, I guess is a good sign that, okay, the world has realized at least that this is a problem. But as we are seeing during discussions, there is significant potential for this treaty to be watered down. And I think, I guess the public health officials have to fight back with the IR folks to be like, okay, we know it is difficult and there is too much geopolitics, but... Uh, the world cannot afford uh, something like COVID again, especially the significant human and economic toll that this took. Right. So, if, I mean, for example, I'm sure we can at least go for more stringent language, like having peer review mechanisms, for example. I mean, IHR has them, BWC has voluntary mechanisms. Not a lot of countries actually file in or give data. I think data sharing is like the minimum thing that we can do better. Second is pandemic simulation exercises. This is something in the pandemic treaty. This is something that the Quad actually uh, very recently also announced that this is something that they want to try. Right. So in terms of just pure capacity building, in terms of pure preparation for the next whatever bug will come out, I think it's something that we can definitely all agree on. The minute it gets to trips, the minute it gets to money, I think people feel like, oh, where will we make money from? For all of the, the trips papers that India championed, we did not really make co-vaccine available for everybody, did we? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I understand that there are concerns that are, that are over there. But I think there must be something minimum that we can do, that the pandemic treaty has to recognize, uh, that all countries have to agree to. Right? Because otherwise there's no way forward. We'll just keep on. This will become like, a ha, there's a treaty, there's a fund. But it will become like the PWC. So it's a toothless treaty. It does nothing, really. And the world cannot continue with the toothless pandemic treaty. True. I mean, you're right. I, I think at least I think one encouraging sign is that the treaty draft, you know, which has been leaked is significantly more ambitious, actually, and, and more concrete in terms of what it is trying to say. 
as compared to the draft which was uh, released by the WHO in January. So I think uh, hopefully I think as discussions uh, evolve and I think after this leak I think there will be more pressure from the civil society and public health experts and hopefully I think this pressure can push countries to you know like uh, go beyond the the usual routine of you know yeah we agree to this but we are not mandated to do something to actually agree to something substantial with powers you know and uh, hopefully I think we'll be able to have a treaty that is you know like that is uh, stringent that is competent and I think that can actually make a difference when uh, the need does arise so uh, that's the that's the time we have uh, thanks a lot Shambhavi and hopefully uh, we'll have a discussion soon uh, when there is a new draft that is released or uh, maybe leaked and uh, let's see how this evolves thanks Arup. thank you everyone for listening If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle, at takshashila.inst or our website takshashila.org.in